passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Raw. John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I I had missed watching a three-hour Raw on Monday night after being off last week. So just like old times tonight. You got it. Yeah. I mean, if, and if, you know, if you really missed it, you could have watched six hours of it if you were actually in attendance. You know, you and I really could have made a road trip out of tonight, couldn't we? Gone to Iowa? God. Yeah, I've always wanted to um, drive. Always go to the... Uh, I've always wanted to go to Iowa ever since that Saved by the Bell episode. Yeah. Iowa, Zach, 10 bucks. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. You know, Slipknot, that's a great band. Uh, it's true. You know what I would love to do? I'd love to go to Seth Rollins Coffee Shop. And that's... a. About. Honestly, that would that would absolutely be on the itinerary. I, I would maybe if the coffee was that good, I would just stay there. And I just you and I we could we could have some coffee, we could pull up Twitter, follow along raw, and uh that that would be great. I wonder how late his coffee shop is open until. I wonder, I wonder. Um but yeah, that's sort of the extent of my knowledge of Iowa. Well, um they were exposed to a lot of wrestling tonight. So we're gonna go through tonight's raw and then at the end of the show. Uh, we will give plenty of warning and we'll look ahead to what they have scheduled for next Monday because they were taping this this week's show and next week's show all in one night. Initially, it was going to be broken up onto tonight and tomorrow night, but then they condensed it into just one big taping tonight in Des Moines. So the Raw crew, I mean, yes, it was probably a long uh, day slash night, but they are now off until December 26th. So this is a... An incredibly long break for that crew. For wrestlers, yeah. What are we talking about? Ten days? That's enjoy that. That's that's very. That's nice. great. I mean, the SmackDown crew they have they have Friday, but I mean, no, obviously, no house shows this weekend, and then they're off uh, for like six days because they, they both go back on the twenty sixth and start all their their house shows. And SmackDown is going to be live both weeks, so um, especially the Raw crew, but everyone getting a bit, uh, a much well deserved break. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you and I don't take any breaks, including in the week leading up to Christmas. If you have looked at our schedule, what a what a packed one we have coming up this week. We're going to be back on Tuesday night. Rewind away number 52. And what are we going to do to commemorate the big 5-2? SummerSlam 2015, headlined by Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker, hosted by Jon Stewart. 
Yes, names uh, that fit together perfectly. Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, and John Stewart, of course. This also features Seth Rollins versus John Cena. Uh, we've got what are what, what's the other notable match on that thing? Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose yeah. against Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. Yes. Oh, oh, the other one. Lana teams with Dolph Ziggler to take on. <laughs> or wait, it's it's Dolph Ziggler versus Rusev, but with Lana yes. in Dolph Ziggler's corner and Summer Rae in Rusev's corner. So the first time these two broke up, we'll talk. Yeah, all this was it. when this was when. Uh, Rusev had also uh, gained a uh, a significant other. Yes, Summer Rae. I thought you were going to talk about his his weight or something, but yeah. Well, well he's he's uh, significantly smaller now than he was in 2015. Yes, yes, slimmed down right now. Also on Tuesday, uh, because this podcast has gotten so much praise, those of you who didn't get a chance to listen to it on the British Wrestling Experience last week, we're going to upload onto our main feed, and that is, of course. Uh, Jamesy's interview with David Starr, a two-hour interview sitting down with him. Actually, it, you know what? James, David Starr, I think, was, wasn't necessarily sitting down. He was more like running errands throughout the course of this two hours. So, like, I, Oh, really? I pro- did not know that. He's probably, like, you know, um, doing his laundry and, and whatnot. So just, uh, like, running around the house talking about this incredible year he's had on the independent wrestling scene, wrestling for OTT, Progress, Rev Pro, uh, uh, PWG, you name it. And, uh, I just just a wonderful interview that you probably by this point been sick of hearing us talk about. So if you are curious about it at all, listen to it yourself on the main feed right here tomorrow afternoon. It's a great interview. I listened to the whole thing over the weekend. I, I thought Jamesy, it's just great. It's a like a director's commentary of David Starr's entire year. So if you have been following his big feuds, uh, like all over the world, he gives a lot of very honest insight into a lot of the matches, what, things that worked, things that didn't work, things he was not happy with at the time, circumstances leading into different matches. It was just like a really cool chat about all of these matches that I, I think was uh, – it was just really great. The the Jamesy Chronicles have become uh, must-listens in 2019. And do subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience every uh, every other week. What are they – like they, it's, it's also called what? Fortnightly? Fourth, I have no idea. Fortnightly? <laughs> Every other Friday at postwrestling.com. Fortnightly, is that a term that you ever use? Because like, it, it's something that I know, I know like Martin, I've heard use, Jamesy uses it in his intro to this upcoming one. Like, Fortnightly means every two weeks. But like, it's not something I don't think anybody says over here. But oh, like here it would be, re- you know, referring to like a video game. Fortnite. Well, that's how most people probably a whole generation thinks of uh, the term Fortnite is the game. Yeah. Moving on. Wednesday, we've got Rewind to Dynamite and Up Next. And we have big news for both shows. It's obviously the final episodes of the year. So Wei and I had a big discussion about this. So for one night only, for Wednesday night, we are presenting Rewind to Dynamite and Up Next commercial free. Oh, is that right? Uh, Entire show, it is about you, the fans, and we don't want any crossover. We don't want you to be tuning out and distracted by anything else. Commercial free shows, Wednesday night, and I, I think that up next might go eight minutes longer than ours, but that's fine. Uh, well, well, we'll see what the effects are on the ratings on Thursday. Yeah, we will find that out. Uh, Thursday, we've got the 
season finale of the Cafe Hangout for 2019. This will be our, our final Cafe Hangout uh, for a couple of weeks uh, that coincide with the holidays. And then we're off to Japan where uh, we will not be hanging out in any cafes uh, in uh, Japan. But once I return and if Wei ever returns, we will uh, pick up the Cafe Hangout in January. That is correct. Yeah, we'll be taking a few weeks off, maybe even... Uh, we might actually be taking a whole month off when it's all said and done from the, the cafe hangout. So if you want to get your calls in, please do so. It's been a wonderful place for us to just catch up with a lot of our regular listeners. And that's available to all patrons at 3 o'clock Eastern. And if you do want to just listen to it, it's available for everybody listening to this feed for free uh, on YouTube and also right here. So uh, do check that out. Then on Friday, we've got Rewind to SmackDown. That will be up for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Saturday, it is the return of the Rocky Maivia Picture Show as Nate Milton is joined by myself and Jimmy Corderas to review The Tooth Fairy, starring Dwayne Johnson. I didn't realize Jimmy was going to be a part of this. Yes, uh, it's going to be both of us on this show. Um, so I am in a very good mood because... I didn't know where I was going to find the time to watch The Tooth Fairy, and somehow today, Monday is always an insane day, I somehow found time to watch The Tooth Fairy today. So I've now got it watched. Oh, wonderful. That's quite the achievement. If you're going to ask me, did I watch this in real time? The answer would be no. But I got it done today. I think you get a pass. So we will chat all about Derek Thompson, his hockey exploits, and uh, being under the order of Julie Andrews as the Tooth Fairy. And this was, uh, I was selected to do this one because when this movie came out, I got to go to LA to interview Dwayne Johnson about this movie. Does Jimmy have a connection to it? Um, I don't know. I don't know why Nate uh, invited Jimmy for this specific one, but both of us are going to be on the show. So that will be coming out Saturday. And then Sunday, Thunderstruck. It's a double double shot of WH Park. He will be on with Daniel Makabe to chat about the Jushin Liger Shinjiro Otani match from February 9th of 1997. That's going to be out first thing Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, WH Park is with me for the year end edition of Post Pro Res featuring an annual staple, WH Park's year end awards. And I don't care what other shows we have coming out this week, there's nothing that is going to top. W.H. Park naming his worst dressed wrestler of 2019. And that is all I will say about this show. I'm so excited. So tune into that Sunday. All of these shows you can find at postwrestling.com. The bonus shows will be up at postwrestlingcafe.com. And of course, go to youtube.com slash postwrestling. Support us in any way possible, even if it's just a snarky comment, because we, we live off of those. It's oxygen for me in a way. Uh, it's more like carbon monoxide for me, but well, you know what? It's a, it's a substance nonetheless. So, uh, that's the schedule coming up this week On to the news, a bit of it today, uh, coming out of the TLC event. Uh, it had been reported by, uh, Dave Meltzer today that Kyrie Sane had not been cleared tonight. And I think that was pretty evident on the show tonight way. She came out with Oscar and then they did not even have her come down ringside. It seemed like she walked out and, just introduced Asuka and walked right to the back. And that was the extent of Kyrie saying no. Uh, I will say as a whole, this t- tonight's Raw felt like TLC didn't even happen the night before. So there was hardly a lot of focus on the event from the night prior. Hmm. Right. Well, but especially the main event, like outside of the Becky promo, you could have watched the show and had no idea there was a pay-per-view the night before. And 
like not a not a huge deal made to me of that main event. But um, do you have any thoughts just on the overall discussion about Kyrie Sane? We also uh, reported today that um, Vince McMahon and Paul Levesque were not at the pay per view on Sunday night. So you know there there was definitely discussion on how that main event w- was handled. And I think if anything, last night it hopefully does lead to kind of a hopefully a solution that okay. This is going to happen again. There will be an injury during a match. There will be a potential concussion. And this is how we have to be proactive and figure out what is the best course of action when this occurs. Who are the go-to people, whether it is the referee, who is making that call. Just having like a distinctive plan for when this happens again. Because it will happen again. And it's happened several times this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I'm sure coming out of it on the Monday, the WWE must not be very happy with, I think, some of this discussion about, you know, uh, how they, I think we, we can agree, perhaps mistreated the situation, allowing Kyrie Saint to go on for as long as she had in that match. Uh, certainly I feel Charlotte taking a big brunt of that criticism tonight as well. Although I do wonder about the status of Charlotte too, because it wasn't like she had an easy match either. So I, 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 you know, she also wasn't on raw. Um, so she, she does wrestle on next week's taping. So she did have a match on Monday night. Well, okay, there you go. But, um, it's, I'm sure internally there are some discussions to be had about what exactly went wrong, how, how they should have better handled it. You know, the fact that it was a, uh, an important main event. Um, how do you get out of that situation? You know, if somebody if somebody can't work an entire match. You know, granted, like they they kind of found found a way by the end of this. Thankfully, it was a tag team match. But let's say it was a one on one match. Somebody gets concussed, like like whatever, like a an Undertaker Goldberg match. How do you do? You stop it? Can you simply say, "Uh, oh, show's over, everybody. This person's concussed." I I personally I, think yes. Like in the end, I do too. It doesn't matter. I do too. Um, but they- she wins by TKO. It's a stoppage. And if you are so concerned about the crowd being upset, I mean, there's always like it's a main event scenario we're talking about. You call an audible. You do a dark match for the crowd. There are, you know, there's there's situations that can be done. And I think yeah, the crowd might be upset. That's not my pro- priority when we're talking about a potential head injury. And I think that. Like that, that trumps it. You just have to kind of bite the bullet. It's a, it's a bad ending to a match, but you know what? The way they handled things last night, it was a bad match because it fell apart as a result of this woman that did not need to be involved. It was worse. You can argue because you're putting somebody at greater risk. I mean, like just in hindsight, again, no official report about what what exactly might've happened to Kyrie Sane, but we know she was probably fucked up to to some extent and to just see her continue at any level. Like there was one spot where she had to guard the ring for Asuka as she was climbing and to see this poor person having to like, I don't know, play a character in the midst of like, perhaps, you know, um, uh, just a bad, bad state physically, physically, it was tough to watch. So I, I, I think they do have to think about setting that precedent somehow. If it is a TKO stoppage or, or, or just something, some sort of protocol to say, um, I, and I feel like the audience can accept it. You know, we're having discussions like this that I feel, um, you know, seeing all the criticism, I think that's come that been coming out of this. I think audiences are ready for you know just a, a legitimate, no bullshit. Hey, this performer got injured. Nobody wants to see this person continue anyway, so we're stopping the match. Yeah, and 
And I feel very strongly that it needs to be out of the hands of the performers. The performers are always going to default to gut through it and finish the match. And that decision has to be taken out of their hands. And someone has to make that call that has the well-being of the performers in mind. And I think the referees have to be trained for that scenario. I think that the, you know, someone in the back has to ultimately make that call. And it's it's got to be made very swiftly. And yeah, it's a high pressure situation. I think people can understand and appreciate that. And it's just, it's happened enough times that I I think that something needs to be addressed and this cannot be the end result is that we're just going to gut our way through and get to the finish while someone has no business being in a wrestling match. Sure. And not just for their own safety, like this is a, this is a cooperative sport that it's potentially putting the opponent in danger too. Like Kyrie Sane is in no position to be, handling someone else's body and is you know it's hers that is compromised at that moment as well so i I think that there can easily be some lessons that come out of this and that's the silver lining to uh sunday's you know mess of a match that hopefully there is some kind of solution that comes out of this kofi kingston announced on uh the new days podcast uh that he has signed a new five-year deal with the wwe and i I don't know when his deal was up, but I think, man, talk about timing for Kofi Kingston. Like even this year where he is, you know, kind of removed from the title picture. I mean, just his stock is at an all time high that I'm sure this was an extremely lucrative deal for him, that his deal was uh, coming due at some point and gets this new deal. Were were you surprised at all? uh, Kofi signing on for five years at, at this stage and, could you have even imagined him uh, anywhere else? No, not really. I mean, I think Kofi really seems to me like he's a WWE lifer. Uh, not to say he wouldn't excel in another um, uh, uh, promotion, but he has excelled in the WWE. And I think he's already in a great spot, you know, despite maybe modern booking aside, he has established the potential of him being a main eventer or champion. And I do feel like in the future he will get back there. So it doesn't surprise me. They're locking everybody up, I think, to, you know, as long as long as they can right now. So five years doesn't really surprise me at all. Yeah, I would definitely encourage people to check this out. I had not listened to their podcast before today, but there's um, really great discussion. Uh, Xavier Woods discussing his injury, the the fears he has that it's there's largely no timetable. Like they told him that uh, you completely tore your Achilles tendon the surgeon told him it's going to take me 14 minutes to fix this and probably a year before it feels normal. And he explained that if he does everything perfect, everything right, he could be ready in like five or six months, but it could be a year. It could be more than a year. And it's th- this big unknown uh, factor. And he just talked about not just, um, you know, the physical pain, but also like, mental pain that you have when you're away and you're seeing other people that are ascending the ladder. Uh, Biggie discussed this as well. Uh, it was, it was quite an interesting conversation about just the mentality of pro wrestlers and how you deal with, with injuries, especially one where you don't know when you, this isn't like uh, twisting your ankle and you're off for a couple of weeks. It's kind of to be determined when he will be able to come back. And you know, that, that small chance that you wouldn't be able to come back from an injury like that and this is xavier woods who you know we know can keep very busy with a number of other projects imagine if you're somebody who has none of these other things and your only thing is your wrestling you're not doing podcasts you're not doing twitch streaming you're not doing youtube i'm sure mentally it's even tougher 
Absolutely. Yeah. He even brought up like that was one of the reasons he launched this YouTube channel was to have something else as well. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a really tough injury and not too many wrestlers have had, have had that kind of injury. Edge is one of them. And it's, um, you know, it's in sports like football or basketball, like that could end your career tearing your, your Achilles as well. So it's, it's a very long road to recovery for him. AEW has announced a couple more dates. Uh, one really notable, they are going to be going to Atlanta on February the 19th and they're running the State Farm Arena, which is a 21,000 seat building. This is an enormous arena they're running for Dynamite. This will be the biggest one since the debut in Washington. Seems to suggest a big show. It's going to have to be a big show. I mean, it is Cody's hometown, so I imagine they're going to make a really big deal out of that. Uh, So it'll be interesting as well, given that that will be the week before the pay-per-view, or 10 days before the pay-per-view. 10 days before their pay-per-view, right, yes. For before Revolu- Revolution's on the 29th. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, will be interesting what they put there. The following week, February 26th, will be in uh, Kansas City. And they have also announced, uh, as we mentioned off the top, that this Wednesday, AEW is going to kick off with Hangman Page and Kenny Omega against the Lucha Bros, commercial-free, while NXT is going to have Adam Cole versus Finn Balor kicking off the show. No commercials. So Wait, one people one, are gonna have to one pick. is commercial free, the other is no commercials. Uh, well, that's the same thing. Yes. Well, I was wondering if they were phrasing it differently, but okay. Oh no, they're both commercial free. Excellent. Me just uh, playing with the phraseology, but uh, which would you be sitting down to watch? Way if you didn't have to watch AEW. Um, you know what? I must say that's a really tough choice. Uh, because I, I mean, I, I, I kind of have said that I've, I've been more into the NXT product lately, but that those two matches side by side, I'm actually a little bit more curious to see Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. I mean, just because at this point, there's still a bit of a freshness to seeing Kenny Omega on my TV, especially, you know, in a no no commercial or commercial-free situation. Whereas uh, Finn Balor, Adam Cole, I'm sure will be a great match, but doesn't feel as maybe must-see um, to me just, just yet. I'll, I will be watching both matches, of course. Yeah, it's um, going to be interesting what what both shows do, and if this uh, if this gimmick works, where you know if you get a long twenty plus minute Cole and Finn Balor match, will some fans just say, "Well, I'm I'm twenty twenty five minutes into the show, I'm just going to watch NXT through, and I'll watch AEW later." Uh, that's got to be the strategy: is hook them and have something really big to follow up with. So hopefully, you just grab the audience, and they're not going to flip over because they've already dedicated uh, 25% of the show to NXT, for instance. Yes. What else do we have here? Um, New Japan has added pre-show matches to Wrestle Kingdom. Just uh, a bunch of uh, multi-person ma- uh, tag matches for January 4th. We're going to get uh, Togi Makabe, Tomoki Hanma, Yota Suji, and Yuya Uemura against Toa Hanari, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, and Alex Coughlin as well as Kojima and Tenzan against Yuji Nagata and Manabu Nakanishi. And then January 5th, our pre-show, it'll be a gauntlet match for the never open weight tag titles where Shingo Takagi finds himself, as well as Tomohiro Yushi. So a little tough for Takagi fans that he's not getting a very prominent spot at either show. That does kind of suck. But there you go. Those are the uh, the pre-show matches. And 
I guess it's the final thing here was uh, Primo Cologne did this interview in Spanish. It was uh, translated by Carlos Toro over at uh, Fightful.com, and he was giving his explanation for the suspension that the WWE issued last week. His story is that the WWE had contacted him while he was off the road in Puerto Rico that he had to come do a drug test, and he insinuated that he would have to pay for the travel to go to a laboratory, and he suggested to WWE, give me a laboratory to go to in Puerto Rico so I don't have to cover the travel to go elsewhere. He said they never got back to him, and then he found out he had been suspended. So that is his side of the story. It's kind of hard to imagine WWE would be sticking him with the cost of traveling to somewhere in the U.S. to a laboratory. Um, you know, typically it's, I don't know, it's, uh, that that's his story. I've actually reached out to WWE to see if they are, um, j- just to see what their side of it is. Are they going to address any of those uh, points that Primo Cologne uh, raised? I've not heard back from them, though. Yeah, we shall see. I mean, um, so at the very least, it, he, if at least maybe a portion of this story is to be believed that he didn't actually fail anything. He's stating he was suspended because he did not take a drug test, not because he was popped for something. Gotcha. So, okay. So that's, um, that is his story. All your uh, stories can be found over at postwrestling.com raw from Monday night in Des Moines, hour number one of six for Des Moines day night raw. Oh, beautiful. Great job. Oh, oh, I've got this at the top of my notes. Everybody, the jingle contest. Ah. It is op- It is open. Uh, we are accepting submissions until w- – when is our new deadline, Way Monday? Uh, it's up to you, honestly. So Monday? I think we're going to make it Monday morning, okay? So let's say uh, Monday morning by 9 a.m. Eastern time, we need everyone's submission. So you have a week – if you have, uh, if you want to enter the contest, we will have some form of prize for the winner. These are usually this is always my favorite contest of the year. So uh, I hope we get some great submissions, and then the the annual Christmas show from Post Wrestling will be out on Christmas Eve, which is a week from Tuesday. Christmas Eve, yep, yes. Forum.postwrestling.com is where you can go and read all the uh, submission guidelines and post your jingles. Okay, now to Raw. Seth Rollins, uh, Iowa's own, comes out along with AOP, who he states have chosen to live on the right side of history. And everyone thought that he was the future. Everyone was behind him, including management. And then everyone started to question his leadership. Being a leader is not about being cool. It's about making decisions in order to make progress. Kevin Owens resisted, so he became an example. He does not lie. He is a leader and a visionary and is going to lead this brand into the next decade. And he doesn't care. He is going to drag you fans kicking and screaming in a 2020 and will impose his will. And if you resist, AOP will enforce my will. And he says he has a score to settle before the end of the night. It's not going to be popular. And he apologizes in advance. I like the promo from Rollins. I I continue to really be excited by this new heel Seth Rollins I thought this was well written concise about his history clearly spoken I think his confidence and focus really comes across here I feel his promos now 
He's just going to like his drafts in his in his Twitter, and these are all his <laughs> tweets that he did not hit send on that he's just been holding for the last six months. That's the guy I want. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he will come into 2020 dr- kicking and screaming. Uh, Samoa Joe still on commentary. No more cast any longer. What do you think is the prognosis of Samoa Joe on commentary? I'm loving him in this role, but I do feel that it's – He's probably on borrowed time before he is back as a, I would imagine around maybe rumble time. They're going to ease him back into uh, a wrestler, but man, has he done a great job in this role? Yeah, he's been very good. And I think people will be sad to see him leave, but I, I'll be happy to see him wrestle again. Um, I think he'll, you know, commentary may always be there for him, but everybody's got a shelf life as a wrestler. So I'm sure he wants to get back in there. You know who I think would do very well in the role, uh, granted he's a SmackDown guy, is Xavier Woods. That's a great idea. Yeah. I, I think he'd be really great. Like, if he can do that kind of travel mm-hmm. while he's rehabbing, I think he would be a great – I think that, like, he is a, a great talker, and I think he would really excel in, in that role if they're looking for a third person and and Joe is going back into the ring. Uh it, it it's a question of whether or not it's it's worth the travel, depending on you know how mobile he is with with that particular type of injury. But yeah, he, I'm where, sure he'd be great. How how are, where are they doing this podcast? Because they're doing it in person. Um, could be like are they actually together in the same room? It's it, yeah. There's like video of it oh. where yeah. Okay, I don't know. So um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, w- I would not imagine if you had a torn Achilles that you'd be doing uh, or at least want to be doing a lot of traveling. That would seem. I would assume they all live in Florida or something. That could be uh, as well. So uh, Joe puts over AOP and notes that they have been kicked out of every gym they've been a part of. They're the kind of guys that hold on to leg locks too long. They are the Husamar Palharas of WWE. Great. That's awesome. Great visual. Really passionate speech, I thought, from Joe. And I like that they took the music down in the background for him to make this point. Viking Raiders get confronted by the OC. They note how dominant the Viking Raiders are, but they are the only team to hold a victory over them. And they took dives on Sunday night to avoid losing to them a second time. So that took us into a rematch, a non-title rematch from the night prior. And they went very long here. They had the advantage of Eric for quite a while. Builds up to the hot tag for Ivar, who goes crazy, does get the crowd going here. He goes for his handspring back elbow but um, and hits it. And then there's double suicide dives by Eric and Ivar. This is our second commercial break. Anderson runs at Eric, takes a power bomb as Ivar comes in, climbs to the top rope, and misses a moonsault as Gallows pulls Anderson away. Eric is knocked off the apron, and they hit the magic killer onto Ivar and pin him in 19 minutes and 28 seconds. Feels like, feels like an average match length for this particular edition of Raw. Um, a lot. Well, at least th- there was a winner at the end of this long match. Right. So, yeah. uh, Joe was so excited he called this thinking it was a title match, and then had to uh, walk that one back and just pivoted to, well, they should be champions. They should be champions. I thought uh, obviously this match was much better than than what we had last night. Of course, having a finish really helped. Uh, Eric and Ivar have some great looking offense and they really do continue to impress Gallows and Anderson. Unfortunately, just really do nothing for me to me. I just find them painfully average. Um, nothing special on the mic trying to do the Shane McMahon best in the world gimmick, but without any of that flair passable in ring, but honestly nothing special. 
but I do like the booking here. You know, it builds legitimate contenders for the Viking Raiders. And I think this is also the beginning of just a, I don't know, uh, a crowd reaction throughout the show that mm, knew that they were going to have be, be sitting through a lot more in the, Dude, this, in the evening. This crowd, this was the first show. Oh, I, know. I can't imagine what we're getting next week. Yeah. Unless well, they're going to play around with the, the audio. I guarantee you. They, they're, if, if it's this bad, they will. Yeah. Lawler actually had a good line here uh, when Ivar missed the moonsault saying, bad decisions make great replays. All right. Sarah Schreiber interviewed Eric Rowan on .com asking uh, about the, the cage. And Eric asked her about her family. And tells Sarah Schreiber to go mind your own business. The OC are celebrating. AJ's going to take out Randy Orton tonight. But he wants to do it on his own. And he's going to end Randy's career tonight. It all comes to an end. Alexa Bliss will be on backstage tomorrow night. Eric Rowan versus Dante Leone. Leone goes to the floor. He climbs under the ring. And then he comes out the other side. And goes for the cage. But then gets chased by Rowan. Trips right out of a horror movie and gets caught running cross body on the floor, two claw slams and Rowan wins in a minute 55. They've been really good at finding like the skinniest, dorkiest looking indie wrestlers from whatever local wrestling school uh, is in town. And uh, the, the, the KFC power plant. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, and usually like I would be really critical if wwe doesn't really explain a character's motivation for doing something and they've really yet to explain why any of these choppers are so brave or so curious enough to want to look under that cage every single week but in this case i I don't really mind it like i love that these choppers just kind of mindlessly can't help but do something really stupid and it, it results in these like really entertaining squash matches though i would say this one was probably perhaps the most predictable thus far Charlie was with Andrade, and he's going to be part of a gauntlet match tonight. Zelina Vega is there, and <laughs> Charlie says, you would be the favorite in this gauntlet, except Umberto Carrillo is in the match. That is the setup question. And his <laughs> left eye, by the way, was all marked up from the kickoff match on Sunday. Zelina just tears into Charlie, tells her she should be rolling her R's, and says that Andrade losing to Carrillo was the best thing that ever happened to him because now they take Umberto seriously and she's going to wear high heels so Carrillo can hear her footsteps on the concrete so he can repent. I thought this was a fantastic promo from Zelina Vega. So they're on the same page again for tonight at least. There was not even mention of the problems they had had the last two weeks. There was no follow-up on it. There was no reference to it. It did not exist. The dissension between these two doesn't necessarily mean it it's it's no not going to come back later on but i think you should it should at least be brought up then or something to at least make make, uh allude to the fact that this has been going on there were it just felt like it was they're back on the same page everything's fine we shall see then we got our vignette for Liv morgan she is in a bathroom somewhere getting ready to get into a bathtub. And she is reflecting on who she was, allowing her friends to tell her what to do and how to dress. And she just wanted to be comfortable in her own skin. And in order to do this, she must destroy herself so the real her can emerge. And she is in this bathtub 
as it says, to be continued. Yeah, so continuing this uh, makeover theme, she's dropping the pink hair, dropping the, the blue tongue deal. And I mean, I guess from the looks of this kind of going with more of a dark order. I don't know. I didn't get that. I got more of like sort of a like what like the Emelina stuff, you know, like an Eva Marie type. That's kind of the sense I got. But maybe it'll be com- something completely different. Maybe it can be dark order. I'm not sure. They They are definitely putting some production into these. So it shows you that they are serious about her. Bobby Lashley and Lana came out. Lawler was hopeful that the two were going to talk about their celebration after the match. Yeah. Lana snuck in a plug for her Instagram and announces that last night's winner, her hot, hot boyfriend, Bobby Lashley. She says that he's beautiful, that she he gives her butterflies. There's a Rusev Day chant. Lana says Rusev Day is dead. Lana wants Bobby to ask her to marry her as she pulls out a ring and the the delivery I thought was really good. It was like they they were she was teasing it a lot and then you think that she's going to ask him to marry her instead she wants him to ask her to marry her. I thought Bobby Lashley's best acting was in the moments that Lana was bringing out this ring and you just watch the look on Bobby's face. Like he is just frightened out of his mind that he does not want to marry this woman. I actually thought he was very subtly great here. And you're thinking that Bobby is getting cold feet here and is just going to like run and says, I don't like people telling me what to do. And he's teasing it except for you. And he gets down on one knee and calls Lana the most amazing female wrestler in the history of WWE. Amazing. How he got this line out, I have no idea. He says they'll be the biggest power couple and proposes to her. And Lana says it's just like she had him rehearse and is going to allow Bobby to marry her as she accepts. (laughs) And it's going to happen on Lana Day which apparently is December 30th. That's the wedding. So next week, it looks like they will set up that it's going to be the following week. Oh, wow. A new so year's we're wedding. looking at two weeks, a new year's Eve, Eve wedding. That's a lot of planning, like a lot of invites to do in a short two amount week, of time. Shotgun wedding. Wow. Well, you know, the match, of course, last night, I don't think came across too well. But these segments continue to get the audience to react really big. And I think a difference between those things, number one, is the fact that I don't know how many people really care to see Rusev and Lashley wrestle. But number two, I think the missing element in the match last night was bigger involvement from Lana. She's really at the center of this program. And, you know, a tables match between Lashley and Rusev alone doesn't exactly feel like it solves anything in the grand scheme of things. So Lana had to take center stage here. And I thought... This many of these segments have definitely been hit or miss. A lot of times when they miss, they really miss and they're really aggravating. But I thought it was like back to being good, like that cheesy type of good that I'm almost embarrassed to really like. But you can just like put on the background and turn your brain off and just kind of laugh at. And I loved how they positioned Lana to be the one to ask Lashley to to marry her. Um, You know, you could tell she just loves playing this very conceited character. Yeah, it was a 
I didn't really have a strong feeling one way or the other uh, about this segment. Like I felt after last week, it's the wedding is going to be the next big thing they build to. Uh, and they're doing it really quick. Yeah. Our truth is out. By the way, that raw in two weeks, nothing like the marriage capital of the world, Hartford, Connecticut. All right. Our truth is out. The 24 seven title is alive. He says he would not have been here in WWE if it wasn't for his childhood hero, John Cena. He was inspired by Cena's U.S. Open Challenge that he used to watch on Saturday mornings. And he is going to become a dual champion and take both titles to WrestleMania as he points to the non-existent sign in the rafters. So this is our gauntlet match. The winner gets a shot at Rey Mysterio for the U.S. title. Kicking things off is R-Truth and Akira Tozawa. And they mentioned that as long as our truth is in the match, the 24 title is suspended. So no one can jump him. Uh, there's a missile drop kick and a roll up, and Tozawa pins our truth, eliminating his WrestleMania dreams in two minutes and 11 seconds. And then the geeks came out to chase our truth through the crowd. Yeah. Not much to say about this one. That was the match. Next was a Dragon Gate reunion between Akira Tozawa and Ricochet. I thought these two had a really entertaining match. Um, Ricochet uh, hit a pair of dives to the floor caught Tozawa with a drop kick as he came off the top um, actually it was uh, Tozawa hitting the dives to the floor then applied an octopus submission he fights out of the uh, German uh, Ricochet lands on his feet there's a bridging German by Tozawa for a two count and then a standing shooting star by Ricochet lands on Tozawa's knees comes back with the super kick recoil and pins Tozawa in 6.05 but they Gave Tozawa more time than you would uh, think they would, and it turned into a pretty fine television match. I thought it was a really excellent match between these two. It was nice to see Ricochet work a slightly different style here. He was the one, as the announcers were pointing out, he was the one slowing the pace down while Tozawa was kind of playing the high-flying babyface. And I loved how Joe, on commentary, speculated the, the slowing of the pace for Ricochet was because he wanted to conserve energy for the later rounds, which I thought was some really smart commentary and smart analysis. Tozawa, Tozawa is just so damn good. You know, it's he's he's inevitably just going to come out every week on Raw and lose, but it's still nice to see him every week get to perform because he's fantastic. I'd love to see him get a push someday. Ricochet versus Matt Hardy was next. Hardy got a pretty good reaction here, and he hit the side effect immediately, uh, but Ricochet kicked out of that. Uh, Hardy hit a splash mountain for a two count. Then Ricochet did a springboard and got caught with another side effect that he kicked out of Hardy went to the top, missed the moonsault and Ricochet hit a standing shooting star missed with the 450 rolling through. And then Hardy goes for a third side effect. This time Ricochet has it scouted, turns it into a schoolboy, and pins him in six and a half minutes. Jerry Lawler was so confused here that they had to do a replay to confirm that Matt Hardy was eliminated. And uh, again, a pretty decent match here. And Matt Hardy got one of the better responses on this show. I thought, I mean, he is a sort of like a legacy superstar. Um, you know, he looked good. He looked good. Ricochet Umberto Carrillo was next. This one went 18 minutes. And I mean, this match was fine, but I don't know what was missing. What did you feel about this match? It was the body of the match. It, like, it just went on forever. It just never ended. And that it was just that to me yeah, was the problem. This- like, it was really good, but I was so fucking tired by this point. I'd seen so much wrestling this week that uh, like, no. it felt like somebody force feeding me a buffet 
that just never ended. And I might love the buffet. I didn't, I didn't get into this at all. So you were not alone here. I don't know what it was. I can't pinpoint it, but I just did no, not dude, get into it's this. It's just like, and- you know, at the end of this, there's another person coming out. So you know, it's not going to end. And like, I just don't know how much patience anybody has for like this long of a match for the U.S. title, for a chance at the U.S. title um, in the body of a five, six hour TV taping. Uh, Carrillo worked over Ricochet's left arm for a while, which is exactly what I want to see out of these two. Uh, Lawler asked Samoa Joe, have you ever heard of the term babyface? To which I was waiting for Joe to just sarcastically respond, not on this show. Uh, and Lawler explained that that's what Humberto Carrillo has. He has a baby face. Vega came out to watch. Ray must have just uh, destroyed his back standing for this entire match in the back that they kept showing him watching on the monitor. Carrillo goes to the top, goes for a moonsault. Ricochet gets out of the way. Then we see a huge superplex from Ricochet that Lawler calls one of the greatest moves in wrestling, the superplex. And that was followed by a reverse Hurricane Rana off the top that Jerry Lawler was less complimentary towards. Uh, Ricochet lands on his feet from it. Carrillo with an enziguri off the middle rope. Then a Canadian destroyer and a top rope moonsault as Carrillo pins Ricochet at 17 minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, strong ending uh, with that great looking moonsault. But man, was this long. Yeah, I feel like there's a time like I'm sure on paper this this might have really worked out for them because like they've had people like Seth Rollins, you know, engage and Kofi Kingston engaged in these gauntlet matches that in very long matches. But I, I would say neither Ricochet nor Humberto Carrillo are really at that level of uh, crowd interest. And and I at least personally, I'd seen so much wrestling this entire weekend that by this point, I just found myself disappointed at every kick out, every near fall, every commercial break. And that's probably how I knew that I was definitely nearing my limit of too much wrestling this week it, or or if I, if I wasn't already already there and I just I can't imagine what the people sitting in, in attendance must have felt because they were dead quiet this entire I would say this entire gauntlet match so with Zelina Vega watching this from the entrance Andrade's music plays and as Umberto is watching Andrade jumps him from behind nails him with the double knees and takes him to the floor exposes the concrete Carrillo is thrown into the barricade and then Andrade delivers the hammerlock DDT onto the concrete. Rey Mysterio comes down as Andrade and Vega leave through the crowd. We come back where Carrillo has been taken out on a stretcher. This gauntlet took up 50 minutes of television time. And at the end of it, you did not get a concise winner. And in the very next segment, we had a guy that was not a part of this match that challenged Ray and is getting the next title shot. This, this infuriated me. This, it, it, I was offended by this, that they strung us along for 50 minutes for nothing. The balls on them to put this on, on a six-hour uh, loop for this crowd. I just thought this was just... What what a way to piss off a viewer. Me. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. It was a fuck you to everybody. Um, Like, I have gotten mad before when they've gone, like, over 15 minutes and they do a DQ. This was almost the entire second hour. And it was just, like, fill time. It was just, uh, I just thought it was just 
a waste. And then Rollins returns at the end here with AOP, and he's carrying Ray's homie. He's got the bat, the pipe, and he says that Ray gave this to Owens last week, so AOP attacks Ray. Rollins says they found something of his. They wanted to give back. They continue the attack. Rollins says that Ray owes him one, insinuating he's going to let him go, but then he returns, and he hits him with the stomp. Seth lied, and he lays out Ray. And this guy, way smarter than Ricochet and Umberto, who killed themselves for the last half hour. Yeah, it's uh, it's the type of booking that I think continues to, um, I don't know how people lose faith in in these types of TV matches. Mm. If if I swear, if we were not doing this show, I would have turned the show off after this, and I don't think I would have watched again for like a month. Yeah, that's how annoyed I was at the end of of this whole thing. That that is that is that is what you were given for investing what is the equivalent of a one hour television drama that at the end that's that's how long you stuck on this damn gauntlet match for nothing at the end for a for a DDT on the concrete where what's the outcome there's no outcome well I, I guess in the end it seems like Ray is going to be challenging Andrade as well but not because Andrade won this thing but on because Andrade attacked Humberto Carrillo it um. It definitely, I think, it tells your audience that, hey, like, it's like, how can we get to our match of Ray? How can we get to the match of Ray and Andrade without beating uh, Carrillo here was basically it. It's that it's also, uh, you know, a chance to remind our audience that TV, like these results don't matter. Um, Title contenders matches often don't have finishes, so don't always expect one. Um, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's just a repeated reminder that they don't really respect their own match types. Just infuriating. Charlie asks Rollins, why did you do that? He says he's a leader. He leads by example. He had a score to settle. It's settled. And the reason he didn't send Ray to the hospital is so he can answer his challenge for a U.S. title match next week. And Ray says, sure. So they're going to have a match next week, everybody. Let's let's keep going. Randy Orton has taken over the room. He is in the dark room. He says that AJ beat him at WrestleMania. He proved that SmackDown was the house that AJ built, but this is Raw, and he's going to remind him who is superior with the three most destructive letters in sports entertainment. You know, just, just typical um, words you'd hear just before a fight breaks out on a street. You might be the guy that built the house, but this is raw, and I'm going to prove that I am superior with the three most destructive letters in sports entertainment. He's very eloquent. Well, I mean, he's trying to sell t-shirts. Asuka came out for a match. This was where Kyrie Sane popped out and then went right to the back, and they ran a brief feature from the Mae Young Classic on Deanna Perrazzo from NXT and focused on her Fujiwara armbar. And this is very short, but if you've never seen this woman, it was like 30 seconds and it established what her main move is. And that set up this match. So I appreciated the fact that they at least ran this thing as opposed to just put Deanna, putting Deanna out cold. That Granted, this thing got no reaction anyway, but there was at least an effort to do so. I feel like it's just basic 
television product like storytelling if you're gonna treat anybody serious <laughs> way at way after this past two hours i was giving them an applause the fact that they pulled this one off after uh what i had just seen pre- previously i do feel like you know with any of the nxt call-ups because they have so much prior footage on them um i don't know who really is in charge of like choosing these uh people who might show up on nxt once in a while on raw or smackdown but i i have a feeling that the, a bit more care is handled in you know, just putting somebody up there without just having them look like complete jobbers. Then again, I think we could have definitely used some of this stuff when it came to, to some of the, um, um, like Walter, you know, some of the NXT UK guys. Um, you did get that though. You got that with like Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews. Um, so they have a lot of footage of, of these people. So why not use it? So the match itself, <laughs> this was awesome. Vic says there's no way Oscar can be a hundred percent, and Jerry says, "Yeah, at best she's seventy five percent." Like that's those are good odds, I would say. Seventy five percent. So, Deanna hits her with a pump kick, and Oscar goes to the floor. They come back. The match officially begins, and Oscar just lights her up with kicks. And then Perazzo catches her with a DDT and goes for the Fujiwara armbar. Asuka st- escapes. She goes and rolls to an armbar, transitions to the knee bar. And then Perazzo gets out, hits this flatliner, uh, which was the perfect description of the crowd in Des Moines at this time. Asuka landed a high knee, Kawada kicks, head kick, and then the Asuka lock in 411 to win the match. Yeah. Showcase match for Asuka. I mean, you know, they gave Perazzo something. But it just feels like it's, you know, one of those call-ups where it's just a bit of a preview of, of what's to come and that Perazzo is probably going to get her really, like, her build in NXT at a later time. Yeah, I mean, she's not even featured on NXT, so I really had no issue with using Perazzo in this role um, at this point. It was, you know, just establishing, you know, a quick win for Asuka. And, um, yeah, there obviously have... Significant plans for Asuka, which takes us to our next segment, which was Charlie doing a sit-down interview with Becky Lynch, who acknowledges that she's been off the last few months. She's ended up in the tag division, and she thought it was because the powers that be were trying to bury her. And my head just went back. I was like, oh, my God, kill me if this is where this promo is going. But she explained that they found out or she found out that they aren't burying her. They're protecting her. Because she is the golden goose in the company, and they're afraid that Asuka will beat Becky Lynch for the title. And she has not come this far to be protected. She says Asuka is the best in the world. She proved it the last two years at TLC. She proved it at the Royal Rumble. And usually, her opponents need Becky. But this time, Becky needs Asuka because Asuka's had her number and she needs to beat Asuka and needs to prove this to herself. Uh, This turned into a great promo and sets up like a big title match here with Becky Lynch and Asuka. I thought good, simple, you know, build here. Asuka seems for the first time in a while like a real threat and not necessarily because of her recent wins, but I think because the most famous woman star in professional wrestling has said that she looks at Asuka as the best wrestler in the world. And that, to me, is enough. I think that was uh, really nice scripting from Becky. And, uh, yeah, Asuka versus Becky, likely for Rumble. Yeah, I think that would make sense that, you know, one year after. And, you know, the 
for 10 months we forgot about that win, but now, hey, they have gone back to it. So, yeah, I thought, I thought this was a good segment, one of the better ones on the show. Ray did a promo in the locker room. He will defend his title against Andrade anytime, even though he won none of the matches in the gauntlet. Sure, he can have a title match too. He says that Andrade tried to end Carrillo's career, so he's out for revenge. Seth started a fight, and he is showing why we don't respect Seth as a professional or as a man. And next week, he will defend the title against Seth Rollins. He accepts the challenge. Yeah. So, Main event, Randy Orton, AJ Styles. Orton's in control at the beginning. He stomps AJ's ankle, and then AJ avoids the draping DDT, rolls for the calf crusher, and Orton's fighting it, but Styles cinches it in, and... Orton eventually reaches to the rope, but he is selling his his left leg for the rest of this match. AJ goes after the knee. He's beating on him, then gets caught with a power slam. The crowd came alive here, chanting RKO, the three most destructive letters in sports entertainment. The superplex gets stopped by AJ. I don't know how Orton was able to, to muster up the energy for that on his leg. But nonetheless, knocked Orton off balance, clipped the knee again. Then AJ went for a quebrada which is not a staple maneuver from him these days. Uh, he gets stopped on the apron, hit with the draping DDT. RKO gets blocked. He goes back to the calf crusher. Orton kicks away, and then Styles is on the outside. He goes for the phenomenal forearm, and Orton turns to go for the RKO, but AJ stops, and then he goes again for the phenomenal forearm and gets caught with the RKO as Orton wins in sixteen nineteen. It would seem like their timing was off, and they just redid the finish here. Uh, but it just I'm seemed like they were not so sure. Like to me, I thought it was almost like because if you remember their storyline from several months past was the fact that Orton had always scouted, or at least uh, AJ started to scout Orton doing the RKO off of the forearm. I thought they were playing off of that, where Orton te- or AJ teased that he had scouted it and, and was going to avoid it, but then when he did it anyway, Orton caught him again. That's kind of how I, I saw it. Yeah, it just seemed kind of like awkward that he would go for it the second time and gets caught with it anyway. It's like the guy, had al- like you'd already seen the, the tell and then he just put himself right into danger. Well, Orton studied the counter to the counter. I just don't know. Oh, okay. Well, regardless, Orton wins. Gallows and Anderson run in. They beat down Orton, prompting the Viking Raiders to come out. And Ivar sent to the floor, magic killer on Eric as the OC stood tall in the ring. And then Teddy Long came out to announce next week's match. I thought these two had a really good match. You know, Orton, I thought, played a great baby face, great selling of that knee. AJ, I thought, was really vicious in his attacks. Those chop blocks looked really good. Um, it was a good match that I thought woke the crowd up a bit throughout the for the end of the show. Your thoughts overall on uh, tonight's show coming out of uh, TLC? It was difficult for me to get through the entire show, uh, admittedly. I really felt it during that gauntlet match. Uh, You know, I also have to say, like, for me, it was because I'd come off of a weekend where I'd watched so much wrestling. I also started watching SummerSlam 2015 um, today. (laughs) And God, it was just like, I was probably on my, like, 20th hour of wrestling by this point. Um, So it definitely had an effect on me. and it, therefore, it was kind of tough for me to enjoy the show. But there was some solid wrestling. If you could cherry pick it, uh, I definitely enjoyed. I think you will enjoy uh, Ricochet Carrillo 
if you just watch that match. I thought it was really well wrestled. Tozawa Ricochet was very good too. I thought main event was good. Um, I was just at a point where I had way too much wrestling, so I I I can't say I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I thought that there was probably a good hour long show in these in this three hour presentation, uh, but. I was just so turned off by that that gauntlet finish that my god to to spend that amount of time for that ending to everything I just thought was re- really such a lazy cop out at the end uh, of that um Orton Styles they 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 wrestled a a good match uh, I enjoyed that I enjoyed uh, some of the gauntlet matches earlier on some of the shorter ones uh crowd w- was really down and I don't even blame them like this was um I, I think that, you know, doing a 20-minute match with, like, the Viking Raiders and Anderson and Gallows immediately at the start of the show, I think that was a risk. And I think, like, the crowd never really uh, came back. Like, I think it's really tough to start a show with, it with like, a 20-minute match like that. And I feel like there's – this, al- this wasn't the hottest show in the world, so I, I don't even blame this crowd. Well, I feel like there's less craving for, you know, wrestling matches with no real reason for, for them occurring than – the, you know, there is more of a craving, I feel, for something like a Lana and Lashley segment. I mean, obviously, those can definitely go too long as well. But I, I definitely felt like a, an overabundance of perhaps wrestling matches that just, in particular with the gauntlet match, that just seemed to go nowhere. And um, I didn't think the crowd had that much patience for it. Well, let's uh, see what everyone had to say about the show tonight. We are going to go over to the forum. Forum.postwrestling.com. And tonight's poll way. Did the show get a pass or a fail? I already saw it. Okay. Well, a 4.07 was the official rating. Tyler from Orlando. I thought the gauntlet match that didn't result in a winner was kind of lame. Great matches between those guys. Don't get me wrong, but they could have just declared Andrade the winner due to Carrillo not being able to compete. However, with all that being said, I'm pretty excited for heel Seth versus super over Rey Mysterio next week. Andrew from Cape Breton. Happy New Year. I hope you guys had a good time. At, oh, wait, three has three weeks passed, or was it just how long Raw felt tonight? The rest that, that was a that, that was a very risky start to a, a, a feedback that we would have to read, but it landed very good. The wrestling was decent, but everything seemed so pointless. I'm not even sure what's going to happen with the gauntlet match and when Andrade is going to get his title match. Did he technically even win? Honestly, the lone highlights were the Eric Rowan match and the Oscar Diana match. I really like the format in recent weeks with having these squash, squash matches where they had a lot of fresh faces on the show. It also seemed like Vic Joseph was reacting to Jerry Lawler like Gorilla Monsoon was reacting to Art Donovan. Four out of ten show. I can't go lower because everybody seemed to work hard. Well, it says something when Andrew's highlights of the show were a total of six minutes of wrestling on this show. Paul from New Jersey. Samoa Joe describing the AOP was poetry. I want him to eventually return and win a world title. However, he is the life, the life's blood of this commentary team, tag team botch or not. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I thought Lana was very good tonight. The crowd was heated, and she took it all in. Cool to see New Jersey's own Deanna Perrazzo on Raw. She's been good for a long time, so hopefully she gets an opportunity in NXT. Tozawa recorded his first victory since September 3rd and then proceeded to let Ricochet do his full entrance. What a guy. Decent edition of Raw, way better than SmackDown. Uh, which show has more quality, Raw or SmackDown? I think usually, for me, it's Raw, but um, I didn't feel that way today. Um, it, I think it's on a week-to-week basis. I think that SmackDown has the benefit. The, when I get to SmackDown, like even a bad SmackDown, those two hours, it's 
it never gets to the point where it's that that drag when when Raw is going through the the same issues that I just don't find it's as uh, tough to get through. Brent, even on a bad week. Brandon from Oshawa, did they really need to waste 30 minutes or however long that gauntlet was on a no contest? That was so frustrating. Why did they bring in Deanna Parazzo for no reason at all? They couldn't have just had Asuka squash a, squash a local talent. The only thing that stood out was Seth Rollins saying the AOP are the first to join him, potentially setting up others. Who do you guys think would fit in this group? I would prefer they just keep it small. I would too. I don't think they need anybody. I, I felt like when the line was more... More so just, um, I don't know, a figure of speech than something literal. But they can add other people. I, I would say not necessary right now, though. All right. Nas from New York City. Watch Raw and Delay as I decided to watch The Irishman on Netflix before. Uh, despite being a very good movie, I can safely say that years and years of watching three-hour Raws truly helped me get through that three-and-a-half-hour marathon. His questions. Any chance that Samoa Joe is the one pulling all the strings behind the scenes with AOP, the way he spoke about them, practically cut a promo. If we take Rollins' word for it that he wasn't working with AOP in week one, then why did AOP attack Kevin Owens initially or under whose orders? Um, more of that to come when we go through next week. Any chance they break up Andrade and Zelina and pair him with Charlotte would be such a Vince McMahon move. I, I don't like that at all. Me neither. No, I, I thought I thought tonight uh, Zelina cut a really strong promo, and I, I'm i kind of hoping they've just dropped the dissension. I hope they don't revisit that. There was zero tease of it tonight. Um, I was almost waiting for it. Like if Carrillo pulled off the win yet again and Zelina once again just, just blows her lid on Andrade, but they did nothing in that direction tonight. Finally, we got Orion who says, watching our truth before the gauntlet match, it struck me. His entire character is post-concussion syndrome. The confusion, the trouble with numbers and time. It all makes sense. Well, maybe maybe he's been susceptible to amnesia dust, which was um, the big dust that is used in the Tooth Fairy. Oh, wow. Those are my frame of reference points uh, tonight, everybody. Okay, uh, before we get on out of here, uh, we're just going to skim through the results from next week's Raw. So if you don't want to listen... Uh, we will say goodbye now. Thank you for listening. And you are not allowed to complain. Goodbye. So next week's Raw from Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, just uh, skimming through some notes here. Um, so it starts off with uh, Kevin Owens calling out Seth Rollins. Uh, AOP is out as well. Um, so that that is our opening segment. Uh, he beat Mojo Bob- Rawley in a Christmas street fight. Oh, is that what happened? Okay. Do you, do you have the notes in front of you? Yours might be better detailed than mine. Yeah, I'm actually getting these off of uh, 411mania.com. Oh, actually, okay, why don't you take us wrestling Inc. via for, Wrestling Inc. via 411.com, uh, mania.com, okay. okay? So this comes to us from our friends at Wrestling Inc. Um, seems like a Kevin Owens, Mojo Raleigh Christmas street fight. Owens snapped on Mojo after the match, put him through a table. Uh, Owens cut a promo on Seth and AOP calling them out, and then they beat Owens down. Lastly, beat Cedric Alexander. Lana announcing the match at the wedding would take place the week after, and uh, yeah. And then Drew McIntyre versus Zack Ryder. Drew beat Zack Ryder. Drew destroyed Kurt Hawkins after the match, and announced that his year will be twenty twenty. Um, 
Becky Lynch cut a promo and issued a challenge to Asuka for a singles match. Asuka came out and the match is agreed on for a later date but not made official. Ricochet beat Tony Nese. Aleister Black beat uh, Jobber. After the match, Buddy Murphy came out and also defeated a Jobber as Black watched. Black and Murphy faced off in the ring until Black dropped Murphy. So their TLC rematch was announced for the next week. Charlotte Flair beat Chelsea Green. So uh, both those... uh, The honest partner. Yeah, the tag team debuted here. Flair won by submission. The OC, Anderson Gallows and Styles beat Orton and the Viking Raiders after Styles pinned Orton. Eric Rowan squashed the jobber. Rusev beat, beat No Way Jose. Rusev cuts a promo on Lana and Bobby Lashley as they're getting uh, about them getting married and how they deserve each other. He's happy for them. And the main event looks like Bray Mysterio retained over Seth Rollins by DQ due to interference by the AOP. They put Ray through the announce table, but Samoa Joe wouldn't move for them. The, and so AOP beat Joe down, and Rollins hit a stomp on Mysterio to end the show. And so AOP and Rollins pose for the end. So yeah, that would uh, suggest that Joe is uh, probably not long for commentary. Yeah. That'd be my guess. Yeah, and that he, he'll be coming back as a babyface. Yeah, which, I mean, does kind of line up, um, you know, some babyfaces for Seth with Owens and Joe at that point. Yeah, very interesting. Unless you're going to do something with Joe um, where you turn him. But I, I think he could have a nice run as, as a babyface, and they do need babyfaces at the moment. I think so, too. I think so, too. I mean, it's nice to see Fre- uh, Joe try a new role. I'm sure he'd be great at it. I think there's a real lack of babyfaces, and then he'll have a top position. So uh, who takes that commentary spot? Yeah, it's a great question. Do they do they put a third person in? I mean, there were a few weeks they were just going with, with Vic and, and Lawler. I'd be curious if they do uh, put someone there. Yeah. All right. So that's going to wrap up the show. Way and I are going to be back Tuesday night, uh, pending Way finishing SummerSlam 2015. What match are you up to? I'm at, um, uh, I believe, the Team PCB match. Okay. So you're you're at the, the closing stretch of the yeah. show. All right. Well, Tune in on Tuesday night. If you're a cafe member, we'll have Rewind Away uh, coming out with the distinguished Grit Gritner as our espresso executive producer that will join us. I think Grit Gritner has a real name too, but um, maybe we'll find out on the podcast. We'll tune into that on Tuesday. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll speak with you on Tuesday night.